Greek was father. And in one sense, father is a very easy word to understand. It's a word that sounds very similar across most languages, just like the word mother. And much like that word mother that we looked at a few weeks ago, there's really no need to define it because we all know what it means in a literal sense. A father in a a biological sense is someone who's responsible for creating a child with a woman. But there is much more to being a father than that. I thought our reading was particularly good this week for those of you who continue to keep up uh, with that. It covered a a number of facets of fatherhood. Actually, the guy that wrote it, uh, Jacob Evans, he's an acquaintance of mine. He's one of my classmates in some of my uh, grad school work at Freed Hardeman. He was always a really sharp guy, so I wasn't surprised that it was was good. It tried to show us what God expects from fathers. It showed us some positive examples of that. It showed us some negative examples of that. And with that said, I don't think there's any need to get too deep into any of those specifics because they were covered pretty well. And again, especially like we've said through some of these other relational messages lately coming from somebody who's not a father himself, uh, not necessarily the best source to be giving these sorts of lessons in terms of uh, what it means to to be a father in in that sense. And I, I thought he covered it well. But there is a still deeper sense of what it means to be a father that wasn't really touched on in our reading this week. We're clued into it in the fact that God has revealed himself to us as father. Actually something that Brother Taylor touched on in his prayer this evening. This is how Jesus taught us to address God as father. The Aramaic term is Abba. Now we talked about this in our Wednesday evening class recently. That doesn't mean daddy the way that it is sometimes said. But it was the only word that existed in Aramaic to address your father. So in other words, this does suggest an intimacy, a relationship with God that's on the same level, the same level of intimacy that an an infant would have with their father. That's what God desires to have with his children. And that model of God as our father presents a great challenge for earthly fathers to live up to. Which brings us to our text this evening. It was read a a few moments ago. This lays out the work that God calls every dad to fulfill. You know, the Shema, the great prayer of Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now, We all know that. That's a passage that's familiar to everyone here tonight, I imagine. And as he says, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. But the big thing as it relates to fathers, you shall teach them diligently to your children. Of course, he goes on from there, as was read a few moments ago, to talk about how then you should have it always in front of your eyes and on your house and things like that. A father's first responsibility 
is to cultivate a deep love and devotion for God in his own heart. As is said here, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. He has to cultivate that himself. And then, and only then, is he ready to teach those to his children. But that's the most important lesson that he can still in them too. You, children, need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Everywhere children look, in our homes and in our lives, they should be reminded of God, their heavenly Father, and his will. You see, what this means is that all of us, whether fathers or not, fathers have this responsibility in particular to pass us on, but as children, we all need to be shaped by our heavenly Father. Children reveal who their father is, don't they? Whether they intend to or not, through their personality, through their mannerisms, through some of their uh, personal quirks, idiosyncrasies, through their appearance. That should hold true for our heavenly father as well. We should reveal him in the way that we go about our life. And the question is, I wonder, do we feel his influence in our life in that same way, the way that a father should be and does, whether wittingly or not, influence his children? You know, if there's one thing that this world really needs to know more about and learn more about and see in us, it's love, the love of the Father, the love that he's manifested to us and modeled for us. How can we love God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind if we don't even really understand what that means? We have to first understand how our Father loved us before we can understand what it means to love him in return. And this is a subject that's so important, Jesus talks about it in the Sermon on the Mount. He devotes a whole section of it to it. And I want to read to you what he says about that kind of love from Matthew 5, beginning in verse 43. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now when we read through this, and these are words that are probably familiar to most of us, when we read through this, our first reaction might be a temptation to think that Jesus is being unrealistic here. He's asking us to do something that is impossible. But Jesus never makes demands of us that we can't meet. He never asks us to do things that we literally are incapable of doing. What he's asking here is what we talked about, revealing our Father. He's asking that when people look at us, they should see our Father. They ought to see that family resemblance there in us. You know, you, 
we probably often see children who look just like one of their parents. If I could have found some good pictures, I would have put it up there because uh, most of you by this point have met uh, my father. My brother's only been here once, but some of you met him. But uh, if you knew them better, they look identical. I miss some of those exact same appearance genes that they have, but I mean, they could be mirror images. And my brother's son, who's not quite a year old, Mason, he looks just like they do too. I mean, these, they could all be clones of each other. The point is, there is no denying the fatherhood there. You look at one and you know immediately what line they come from. You can see them there, living in them. Jesus is saying, I want people to see your father in you in just that same way. He wants people to look at us and see that we're children of our heavenly father. You know that your father shows love to everyone. I want you to do that too. Show love just the way that he does. Now, before we go any further with this, we look again at verse 48. Jesus says, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That's how he concludes his commands on love. Be perfect like your father is. Now, I want you to note here, he's not saying that we need to be perfect in terms of uprightness, in terms of righteousness. This is all in the context of the love that God has here. So he's not commanding moral perfection for us. That would be impossible. But he's asking us to make our love perfect like God's. Now, even here, that word perfect causes a problem for us because when we think of perfect, we typically think of something that's flawless, without any blemish whatsoever, and we know that our love's not like that. But the Greek word that's translated as perfect here also means, or it carries a significance of something like complete, thoroughly equipped. It's ready to do the task at hand. So in other words, Jesus is calling us to express love the way God expresses it to be able to meet that task that's at hand. That love is to be full. Let's consider how our love can be perfected like our father's then. And first of all, think about the magnificence of the father's love. You go back to the beginning of our text here. Jesus says, he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Now, this is God's son, we couldn't exist without the sun. It gives us heat. It gives us light. It gives nutrients to the soil to allow things to grow. Life wouldn't be possible if it weren't for God's sun. And yet God freely gives it. He shares that, as Jesus says, with the evil and the good alike. He's no respecter of persons in that sense. He just gives that there as a gift. His generosity isn't determined by our goodness or by our faithfulness. And I expect that all of us can be pretty thankful that it's not. He not only shares his son, as Jesus says, he shares the rain. But see, the question is, in terms of perfecting our love, making it full, complete like God's, what if he shared those resources, the son and his rain, the way that we often share our resources, the way that we demonstrate our love. What if he said, you know, I'll, I'll give you some sun today if you go to church. Maybe our attendance would increase. <laughs> I don't know. Or I'll, I'll give you some rain today as long as you pray 
every day this week. Well, I expect that we'd have a lot more people engaged in prayer. Maybe not as much rain as we've had around here since I've moved here. You know, maybe we'd hold off on the prayer so God would hold off on the rain a while. But the point is, God doesn't do us that way. And God also owns all the resources in the world. You look at the way the prophets describe him. He owns all the silver, all the gold, the cattle on a thousand hills. They belong to God. Everything in this world is his. And yet somehow, and for some reason, we have convinced ourselves that they belong to us. It's almost over. I know you're all thinking that. (laughs) We've convinced ourselves that all of these resources belong to us. And that's what causes so many problems in our world today. You know, we say, if you do what I want you to do, I'll give you some of my oil. If you do what I say, I'll share some of my wheat with you. If you're my ally, I'll let you have some of my corn. That's the way that human beings interact with each other. But that's not the way that God deals with people. He shares his blessings, showers them upon all of us. And Jesus says, I want your love to be like that, like your heavenly father's. How thankful should we be that God doesn't deal with us the way that we deal with other people. He doesn't give us his sunshine depending upon our merits, and he doesn't withhold it based on our lack of merit. That's how magnificent God's love is. But ours, by comparison, so often is mediocre. And what separates our love, man's love in general, humanity's love, from God's love is that where he sends it on the just and on the unjust, as we know, we divide people into different categories. You know, if people, if people are attractive to us or if they can benefit us in some way or if we just like them, well, then we say, we love you. You're over here in this category. And then there are some who are eh, on the borderline. Sometimes we like them okay. We're not, you know, as smitten as we are with these over here, but, but they're all right. They go right here in the middle. We, we love them more or less as long as they kind of go along and do what we want them to do. But then over here, there are those people that we, we just don't like them at all. They're, they're right out. So think what this world would be like if we were responsible for the sun and the rain the way that we divide those people into different categories. See, to those over here, we'd say, we love you. And we would push the button, and we'd give them all the sunshine that they wanted and needed. And then when they needed some rain, we'd pull the lever, and we would give them just the right amount of rain. To these people here in the middle, we'd say, well, you know, if you behave yourself just right, if you do just what I want you to do, we'll give you the sunshine and the rain, but don't Don't step a toe out of line because then we're not going to do it. And to the people over here that we don't like at all, we'd say, well, you can forget it, buddy. You're not getting any sunshine and rain at all because I don't like you. And, of course, those examples are, you know, fanciful. But the point is that's exactly how we treat people too often. 
And Jesus shocks us then with these expectations that are so radically different from the way that we treat other people. If you were to read through the Sermon on the Mount here, you look at it in context, the verses above. He says, when someone hits you on the right cheek, you turn the other one to them. When someone compels you to go a mile, you go ahead and go a second mile with them. I don't want you to love your friends only. I want you to love your enemies too. And these things are hard. And they're hard for us to understand. Jesus says, I want you to love people who are unlovely and who are unlovable. Those people that we would want to put in that category of people we don't like, Jesus says, I want you to love even them. I want you to love even the people who hate you, the people who are your enemies. Because if you only love those people who love you, you're no better than the tax collectors. You're no better than the Gentiles. And of course, we all know that that's the lowest of the low. You know, if you want to talk about those who are unlovely and unlovable, those who are in that category of people that we wouldn't think we'd love, those are the ones who are in it. Gentiles to Jews, these are people they didn't associate with at all. Tax collectors, these were the most hated people in Jewish society, as you know. Not only like tax collectors today who are not the most popular people to begin with, but these were viewed as traitors on top of that. They were collaborating with the oppressor, with the Roman government. And most of them were viewed as uh, fraudulent, skimming off the top on top of that. But here's the magnificence of our Father's love in that he demonstrates it towards everyone. Jesus calls us to be like that rather than that mediocre love that so often divides people up. He calls us to the maturity of Christian love. What is that? What demands does it make of us? You remember one time a fellow came to Jesus and asked him, what's the greatest commandment? What did he say? He alluded to our text that we read a few moments ago, didn't he? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's an all-inclusive love, isn't it? We're to love God with every bit of our being. That's to be written on our hearts, as Moses said. But then he adds an interesting second commandment near to it. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We were all created by God, by our Heavenly Father. We are made in His image. And that truth should make us realize how valuable we are. I'm valuable to God. But that also means everyone has value to God. And when we really understand that and what it means to be made in the image of God, we can love ourselves, which is important because God loves us. But we can love others too, no matter how unlovable they may seem at the beginning. A little poem by Peter Marshall illustrates this point well, I think. We have the nicest garbage man. He empties out our garbage can. He's just as nice as he can be. He always stops and talks with me. My mother doesn't like his smell, but then she doesn't know him well. It's not our right to separate people and divide them up 
into little categories rather than demonstrating that love toward everyone the way that our Heavenly Father's does. And that's what Jesus calls us to do. Our love is to be made complete and full just like that of our Heavenly Father, a love that reaches out to all people regardless of their background, regardless of their class, of their race, of any other division that we might want to put up there. And when we do that, there is a dynamic power to Christian love. Jesus says, turn the other cheek, go the second mile, love your enemies, and we're tempted to say, well, that's impossible. That can't be done. But Jesus says, no, that is possible because he did it. He demonstrated that that can be done in his humanity. He left us that example. That reveals our Heavenly Father to us, and that's what he expects of us. God loves you. As was stated so eloquently in our opening prayer this evening, he demonstrated that first and foremost by sending his son to die for us. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. God loves us and he gives us not only the example but the power to love like that too. We can't do it on our own. In ourselves, it's impossible. But in Christ, in that family of God, with Christ as our elder brother, we find that power to love in that same way. The question tonight is, are you your heavenly Father's child? Do you love like your father does? Can people see that family resemblance in you? If not, and if you need to make changes this evening so that you, you look more like him, you have the opportunity to come now while we stand and while we sing. After I wonder 